today, I'm going to open up with a big picture story about the gospel, about God's plan for the gospel. But we're going to find ourselves, we're going to land in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you'd like to find your place, feel free. We'll be in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. But I just thought it'd be great, it's always good for me, to just be reminded of God's sovereignty, of God's plan, of God's goodness, of his faithfulness, of the gospel, of his plan for redemption. And so something that, that gets me excited on a regular basis, whenever I hear someone preach about it, whenever I'm in fellowship and hearing about somebody's testimony, whenever I'm just talking with some folks and we're just being reminded of, of God's bigness, it just it encourages me. And so today I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you from the truth of God's word. And I want you to think back with me, if you will, way back to the beginning. Can you imagine nothing? And then God speaking. Boom, let there be light. And God begins to speak, and the creation begins to be created at his voice. God creates all things. And each day, he says, it's good. God creates man and woman, creates the Garden of Eden, and places man in this garden with all of his provisions met, where God has perfect fellowship with man and man with God. And God tells man, you can eat of any tree except this one. And what happens? You already know. Man was tempted, deceived, gave in. Some of us would say, made a mistake. The word for that is man sinned. And ever since that first sin, that act of disobedience, that trespass, we've been separated from God. And all around us, some in this room, and some all over this, this city, and all over this county, and all over this country, and all over this world, people are separated from the relationship with God because of sin. And people are trying to claw their way back. And some people are trying to get back to God, and some people have even said there's no such thing as God, and they're trying to fill that void with other things. But all of us find ourselves in need of restoration. God's plan begins to unfold and throughout scripture we see him adopting a people, a nation, calling them his nation and their purpose was to live separate from all of those other nations around them and their purpose was to be a light in darkness. The the nation of Israel their purpose was to point people to the one true God to represent him as the true God, the true king. Israel had ups and downs. God instituted all of these different, uh, I guess I was going to say institutions, if you will, all these different pictures throughout the Old Testament of his plan. Chosen people as a representation of us, the church, who would carry on that task of making God known. The sacrificial system reminded his people that there is sin and the penalty for sin is death. There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Sin is serious. Separates us from God. 
The sacrificial system reminded us that there is no one good but God, no one holy but God. And the, lamb, the bulls of lambs, the blood of lambs and bulls will not get it done. Every year, sacrifice after sacrifice was made. But the wrath of God couldn't be, couldn't be satisfied by those sacrifices. God, God allowed this, the nation of Israel to have a king. And that king, the kings of Israel, were supposed to point to God being our king and the coming king. God gave us prophets through the Old Testament that were supposed to point to the one true God. But also to the prophet who was going to come. In the Old Testament, we see... All of these things pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then it happened. Then it happened. God became man. Let that sink in. I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes we talk about these things frivolously. The Creator, the one who we all turn from, the one who we sin against. When we could not get to him, he came to us. That's good news. In and of itself. And he came to seek and to save the lost. Now some of those lost were Pharisees. And they were self-righteous. And they thought they had it together. And they saw themselves better than other people. And they needed salvation as well. And some of them, they knew they were sinners. They knew they were sick. They knew they were in the ditch and they needed help getting out. And he came to seek and to save those as well. And he approached each as they needed to be approached so that they would see the reality that they were in sin. And he called all people towards repentance because the kingdom of God was at hand. And he lived his life on the earth, his ministry, if you will, those last three years, going and preaching repentance toward God because the kingdom of God was at hand. He did many miracles. I got a buddy that's a new believer, and he's been reading the word, and he's like, how could people not believe that he was who he said he was when they saw him raise people from the dead and when they saw him heal people and restore the blind? How could they not believe? That's a good question. But you know, I sat in church for 20 years, well, 15 years. Saying I believe these things, but I never really acted like it. But then when God opened my eyes, it was so clear. Jesus called the twelve, and he had many other disciples, and he poured into them, and he trained them, and he equipped them, and he commissioned them to go and preach the gospel to all the nations. Remember Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, to obey all that I have commanded you. Not just teaching them what I have commanded you, but to obey it. Make disciples. Not just converts, but disciples, followers of Jesus. The disciples got to see Jesus Ascend back into heaven. Right before he went, he told them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, 
and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And they're watching him go. And the angels basically said, what are you staring at? Get busy. He's coming back. So they begin to see some powerful movements of God. These same fragile human beings, let me remind you, who were afraid when they saw Jesus get crucified, who, who fled, who denied him, who ran, and who went right back to the things that they were doing before Christ called them, received the Holy Spirit and began to proclaim the gospel powerfully, mightily. On that day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ and were baptized. 3,000 people at once. That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus didn't say, let all the nations come to you at Pentecost and preach the gospel. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I've heard somebody say, Acts 1, 8 didn't happen, so Acts 8, 1 did. In Acts chapter 8, a, a persecution broke out. And scattered all the believers. And you know where they went? To the ends of the world. God's plan's unfolding. Sometimes he has to nudge us a little bit. But his plan is unfolding. And it's going to continue to unfold. And so as they went, you know what they did? They preached the gospel. And as they preached the gospel, you know what happened? People got saved. And then you know what happened? God called one of my heroes to be a servant. He went by the name of Saul, but he, we know him now as Paul. Suffered much for the name of Christ, but as he suffered, people saw the power of God in his life. And as they saw the power of God in his life, people came to Christ. He would go to new places and preach the gospel. And when people were saved, he would group them together and teach them the things of God. He would leave churches behind, fledgling churches sometimes. Sometimes he was only able to stay in the same place for a couple weeks before he got ran out of town. Sometimes he stayed for a couple years. But as he left, he left the power of God, the kingdom of God behind. And he didn't just leave them, he checked up on them. He sent people back to check on them. He wrote letters back and forth to see how they're doing and to help them along. But God's plan has continued to march. God's kingdom has continued to expand, just like a mustard seed. It starts out small and then grows to a big old tree. Just like a little bit of leaven can leaven a whole lump of dough. God's kingdom has continued to expand. It expanded to Europe. Expanded to the new world. And here we are. Recipients of the gospel. Because of God's plan continuing to expand. Now, there's places that have had the church before that don't have it now. There's places that haven't had it yet. <clears throat> so we still have work to do. But I'm here to tell you, and I'm excited about this. There's a lot of work to be done right here. You know our church's mission statement, vision statement? Expanding his kingdom across the street and around the world. That's who we are. I, I really think that's why God has been blessing us so much because that's our vision. I really do. Expanding his kingdom across the street and around the world. What does that mean? That means 
going after the people that Jesus came to save. It means spreading the good news. It means seeing people come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. It means helping new believers grow in Christ. It means helping people become disciple makers that make disciples that make disciples. It means his kingdom expanding and God's glory and his fame being spread. That's good stuff. We sang about it. That's a long introduction, isn't it? I just want to remind you. Without the gospel, we're hopeless. Ever since the first sin, we have inherited this sin nature. You've heard it said, this isn't new with me, but all you, if you don't believe that we inherit the sin nature, that we're born sinners, just watch a toddler for a little while. You don't have to teach toddlers to take stuff that doesn't belong to them or to throw fits to get their way, to tell lies. How many of y'all catch it, have caught a kid with cookie crumbs all over their mouth? Y'all been eating cookies? No. Right? It's very evident. But Jesus wasn't born of a man. Didn't, didn't inherit the sin nature. Why? He's born of the Holy Spirit. 100, listen, I, <laughs> even if I was good at math, I couldn't figure this out. 100% God, 100% man. The God man. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Now here's what I'm getting at. Only Jesus could do that. Because only Jesus could be righteous. Only Jesus lived without sin. Only Jesus obeyed everything God said to do and never did anything that God said not to do. Only Jesus. Only Jesus, listen, as God, it has infinite value. So only Jesus can pay an infinite price. Because when we sin against an infinite holy God, we deserve infinite punishment. Right? Think about this. It's deep, but it's so simple. Jesus, only Jesus could be our Savior. If he had sin, he would have been dying for his own sin on the cross. If he wasn't God, he couldn't pay an infinite price. That's what I'm getting to when we turn the pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I hadn't even turned there yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Probably heard me preach it before, and you just might hear me preach it again because I love it. I love it. If you're ever feeling a little bit down, if you're ever feeling you need a little, little as, as Brother Wade would say, you need something to crank your tractor, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A couple, couple uh, Sundays ago, Jason, Jason's dad, Mr., Mr. Ford, Brother Ford, came and preached from 2 Corinthians as well. And he reminded us that we are clay pots. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit in us is the only thing that's going to get it done. And that's, that's the same theme carrying on into this. There's the, there's the temporal and then there's the eternal. Our bodies are like tents. They're temporal. And sometimes we, we tend to look at one another, if you will, through temporal lenses, physically, judging people by the way they look or, or judging people by the way they act, judging ourselves sometimes by the way we act. think we got it together. We don't. I don't. Man, I'm standing before you today, a sinner. I really am, saved by grace. 
I stand before you today as someone that is still in the sanctification process, longing, longing for the glorification to take place. Second Corinthians chapter five. I'm going to read from verse 17. Starts with therefore. Context is we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Verse 17 answers that question. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm going to go ahead and just finish reading before I preach because I'm, I'm ready to preach on this. Verse 17 through 21 is where we're going. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, It's just too good to comprehend. Your word spells it out. No one is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of your glory. The wages of sin is death, but the the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, you tell us that there's no one righteous, yet you have a plan to make us righteous. God, help us to grasp this truth today. For those of us in this room who may feel weary trying to earn your favor, God, remind us that we have your favor You have already given us your righteousness. For those in this room who may be going through motions but don't know you, God, draw them to yourself and show them your goodness and remind them. Show them again and again until they come to you. We cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot pay that penalty without death. But it's been paid. God, help us to be excited about your gospel. God, help us to leave this place as ambassadors for Christ. Make your plea through us to this nation. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I found myself driving down a road I hadn't been down in a while the other day. It's a reminder of some things that I've done that I'm not proud of. 
And I'm not saying that it's good to dwell on our past and our sin, but it sure is good to be reminded every now and then that I'm not that person. And as many times as I have spit in God's face and used his name in vain and done the things that he hates, that's not who I am anymore. And that's not who God sees when he looks at me. And if you're in Christ, that's not who he sees when he looks at you either. All of those who are in Christ are new creations. What does that mean? To be in Christ, to be saved. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say to be saved? It means to be forgiven. It means to be reconciled to God. Friends of God, if you will. Think about that. (laughs) New creations all across this room. We're not who we used to be. Why? Because the old has passed. The old has passed away. Didn't just pass, passed away. We're going to do a baptism next service. It's a picture of someone dying to themselves and being raised again as a new creation, alive in Christ. The old has absolutely passed away and the new has come. Do we do this in our own strength? You know, I used to think before I came to Christ, I got to clean my life up so that I can go to church and not feel bad. Can't do it. Can't clean your life up. My buddy Dusty told me, you can't ever get clean enough to come before a holy God. Amen. You put your faith in Christ, and he's going to change you. He didn't know all, he's only been a Christian for a month when he shared the gospel with me. He didn't know all the deep, deep theology words. Didn't matter. He told me, you can't get clean enough to come to God. This is all from God. If you just surrender and lay it down, he's going to clean you up. Why? Because he... You put to death the flesh and you're raised again to live in a spiritual realm. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciled. Have you ever had an estranged relationship? It's no fun. It's no good. I've had one before with someone I love deeply. Prayed about it a lot. And God has reconciled that relationship, and I'm so grateful. But I want you to think about it. Usually there's no innocent party in a, in a, a strange relationship, but there is in our relationship with God. He's innocent. Think about that. He's the one who was wronged. He didn't wrong us. Yet he's the one who reconciled us. Even though he was the one that was wronged, he was the one that did the reconciliation because we cannot do anything about it ourselves. So we have been reconciled to God. We are now friends of God, children of God, new creations. We are right with God. Gave us a ministry of reconciliation, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That is good news. That is good news. We have all sinned. We have all crossed that line. We have trespassed. 
And we need God's grace. We need his forgiveness. Desperate for his forgiveness. Sometimes we don't even know it. And when he reconciled us, he entrusted this message of reconciliation to us. We talk about stewardship. Tithing and giving and money. Stewardship isn't just about money or resources. Stewardship's about time as well, but not just about time. It's about time spent. We have been given, we have been entrusted stewards this message of reconciliation. Now, I got a question for you. I'll be the first to tell you the answer, the, the truth from my side. How are we doing as stewards of this message? This isn't a guilt trip. It's just a reminder. Because I know on a daily basis, I fall short. And since I've been back in the States, you know what really probably holds me back more than anything is schedules, time, boom, boom, boom. I don't have time to stop and help change that tire. I got to get to a meeting. I don't have time to go in and pay at the, at, pay at the, the counter. I got to swipe my car to the pump. Even though I feel prodded sometimes to go in and try to get into a spiritual conversation. Stewardships of not just money, not just time, but this wonderful message. Stewardships of the gospel. You and I have been entrusted this message. Now, aren't you glad that the people that led us to Christ were faithful to go and preach the gospel? Aren't you glad that the disciples, even though they didn't leave Jerusalem when they should have, they got spread out anyway, and all of a sudden the gospel finds itself 2,000 years later in Hernando, Mississippi? Verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's, that's, some, pretty, that's some pretty deep emotion right there. Think about that. Sometimes we're not the stewards that we should be because we don't have the burden for the lostness around us that Christ does. One of my favorite verses, Dusty shared this to me with me also. By the way, he didn't know that he knew this verse. God just gave it to him. Now I'm sure he had read it. I'm not, I'm not. This is what I'm saying. He was a brand new Christian. He was scared to death, but he was faithful to come to me anyway. And when he spoke, God helped him. And God had already prepared me. He had no idea that I was so ripe. He shared Romans 5, 8 with me. God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. We have a God in heaven that left worship and splendor and glory to come and be put into a, a to be robed in flesh and to suffer. To dwell among sinners. Why? Because he loves you. And he loves me. And he loves those around us that need the gospel. And Paul is driven by that. He said, we implore you on behalf of God to be reconciled. Because he's an ambassador for Christ. What do ambassadors do? They don't just go and share their opinion. Right? They're not supposed to. They're supposed to go and they're supposed to present the message from the kingdom that they represent. We have all been called ambassadors of the greatest kingdom that ever will be. So my encouragement to you today, Longview Point, is keep the vision. Keep the vision to expand his kingdom across the street and around the world. Not just on our lips and our hearts. And not just collectively, but individually. 
And not just here, but everywhere. And not just other places, here. Right? Right? How many of us have relationships upon relationships with people that need to know how much God loves them? Think about where you live. Think about your family members. Think about where you work at. God has you there for a reason. Each of us have unique relationships for a purpose. There's a stewardship there as well. Verse 21 says, and this is good. This is, this, is where, this, is, this is deep theology and so plain and practical. For our sake, yours and ours, all lost sinners in the world, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who is that? That's Jesus. Jesus knew no sin. Why? Because he was perfect. Then why did he die? He made him to be, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. On the cross, something, something too too great for words happened. Something magnificent. Only the wisdom of God could devise this plan. God's a good God, right? Yes, he is. He's a good judge. He's just and he's righteous. Good judges can't wink at sin and overlook those things. Penalty has to be paid. But he's a God of love and mercy and kindness. And so he devised a plan. His wisdom and his justice and his love and his mercy and his grace came together at the cross. And the wrath of God, his holy Hatred of sin was poured out on Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. As he hung on the cross, and it got dark, and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He absorbed the wrath of God in our place. But this verse doesn't stop there. And that's good news. Because the Jesus taking our punishment... He paid our sin debt. That's good news, but it gets even better. (laughs) This is what I want you to hear. He made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The big word is imputed righteousness. You and I have no righteousness in ourselves. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. But do you know... Those who are in Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see unrighteousness. He sees the perfection of his son. Now that is good news. We're not just forgiven, we're restored. And we're not just restored, we're made righteous. What does that mean? It means, Christian, you don't have to earn God's favor. It means when you're like me and you blow it on a regular basis, God isn't looking at you hating your sin He hates our sin, right? But he's dealt with it. He doesn't punish our sin. It's been dealt with. He looks at us and he sees the perfection of his son. Do you know what that means? We don't have to serve God for righteousness. We serve him from righteousness. Does that make sense? We don't earn his favor. We have his favor. We don't have to perform We just freely by faith get to go out and serve him. 
And that is the overflow of the grateful heart. That's the, the overflow. When Paul says, as God was make, imploring you through us, making appeal through us, be reconciled to himself. That's what drives it. It's not legalism. It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and do better. It's not I'm going to go to church and, and, and do my duty. It's we have been saved. We have been forgiven. We are new creations in Christ. We are friends of God. We are righteous through Jesus Christ. We, we stand before, listen, we can stand before God without being struck down. That is why we do what we do. You could be in this room today and never really fully grasp that. Even as a believer, sometimes I think that sometimes we don't fully grasp that. I know I'm still grasping it. And I know I still forget it. I got a bad memory. But I want to encourage you, Christian, those who are in Christ, your old self is, is gone. It's passed away. You're a new creation. When Jesus looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son. If God looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son. Maybe you were like me. You know, when I, when I first got saved, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, the pews are filled up with people like I used to be. This is not a judgmental statement. This is me imploring you on behalf of God. Coming to church doesn't get it done. Believing this stuff doesn't get it done. Even the demons believe that this stuff is true, but they're not following Christ. There's a God that loves you. And he has made a way for you to be reconciled to himself. So if you're in this room today and you need to be saved, you don't need me. You need Jesus. And you don't have to come down front. But if you'd like to talk, we would love to talk with you. You can go home and you can pray. You can pray right where you are right now.